0: Hello and welcome to Better at Work, the podcast that will inspire you to achieve betterness in your working life. Discover how to navigate the pitfalls, challenges, and work jerkery that may be getting in your way. Learn how simple changes, being authentic, and even using humour can be game-changing. I'm your host, Carl Quinlan. I've spent 20 years helping people and global organizations to be better. And now I'm here to share my practical tips and real-life stories with you, as well as insights from my conversations with some incredible people. So join me as we explore how we can all be better at work. Because when work is better, life is better. Hello and welcome to Better at Work. On this episode, I am joined by Aisha Bursell. Aisha is a best-selling author and one of the world's leading industrial designers. Her work can be found in the permanent collection of the Museum of Modern Art. She has won international awards for designing everything from furniture to cars to toilet seats and vegetable peelers. Without knowing it, you are likely to have used something she has designed in your own life. She's even known as the queen of toilet seats as she has designed what is known as the most comfortable toilet seat for Toto. And I know that she's proud of that badge. Aisha, queen of the toilet uh, seat. <laughs> we'll talk more about that. On top of all that, she has helped thousands of people across the globe transform their lives by teaching them how to solve life's problems using design, which has also earned her the nickname Design Evangelista. Her goal is to improve 10 million lives through her movement, Design the Life You Love. She is one of the most creative people in business, according to Fast Company. She's recognized as the number one coach for life design by Marshall Goldsmith. That's an amazing rec- recognition. And Aisha coaches individuals, entrepreneurs, companies, and communities on how to design their life and work through her training programs, workshops, and keynotes. And her new book, which I've got here and I love. And Aisha was shocked that I had this in Australia, but I got it. And I ordered it months ago, <laughs> ages ago, back in December. I think it only arrived about three weeks ago. But anyway, this book, Design the Long Life You Love, it's been one of my favorite reads. I just love it. Aisha is coming to us right now from New York. Aisha, welcome to Better at Work. We're so happy to have you here.
1: I'm so happy to be here, Kahal. Thank you so much for inviting me and
0: finding my book. We kick off every conversation with where did this all start for you, Aisha? Why did you become so interested in design? What happened in your childhood? Where did this desire for design come from? You mean we're going to go all the way back? We're going back uh, (laughs) about two years whenever, you know, because you're so young.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That That's exactly right. So I was born in Turkey, in Izmir on the Aegean coast, actually, that's what my DNA is all about. I was born to a family of lawyers. I thought that I was going to become a lawyer, but then I found out about industrial design and fell in love with the human scale of design and that's what i've been doing ever since
0: i remember i heard you on another episode i think did you see a beautiful cup did i get that right and someone explained the design process of the cup and that as a child really interests you was that did i get that right you did get it right so it was something like that i can see the cup here wow
1: Yeah. So, you know, Turkish people drink tea all the time. So a family friend explained industrial design to me using a teacup and saying, you know how the edge is curved so that it can fit our lips better. It has a handle so that we don't burn ourselves. And there's a cup. I mean, there's a saucer so that if you spill your tea, you won't ruin the beautiful tablecloth. And I was like, somebody does that. I want to be that person. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I had to ask you that because I, I heard you say that in another interview and I, I loved it. Now, you start in the book by saying how your daughter came to you one evening and said, hey, You have another 40 to 50 years to live. And you were thinking we need some more maths lessons for you. But she was actually (laughs) right. We are in this new era where we are living longer lives. She was right. and uh, But how is this changing everything for us? The fact that we are living these much longer lives.
1: My daughter kind of brought this whole idea of a long life home for me and made it personal. Because, you know, if you think of our grandparents, for most of us, people didn't live beyond 65 and 70 was a long life. And now life expectancy for most people is around, for women is like 80 something and men a little bit less than that. But we have another 20 to 30 more years to live. That didn't exist before. And that is crazy amazing. It's the gift of time.
0: From your book, I have shown the page that has that quote. You just mentioned there 50 years ago, people rarely lived past their 60s. Living into one's 70s was considered the mark of a long life. Today, 70 feels young. 80. Feels normal and ninety is within reach. I have probably showed that to at least twenty five people. Anyone that's coming <laughs> into the house, and I'm like, "On, oh, isn't this great? Very inspiring." So, why do you believe we need to design a life we love? Like, should some people say, "Oh, just let life happen. Things, great things happen when you just let the universe happen." Why do you think we need to design a life?
1: I've been thinking about that question for a long, long time. And where I'm landing these days is, we need to design our life to be able to think about our life with optimism. I used to say, oh, you know, our life is our biggest design project and we need to design it, think about it proactively, intentionally, and those things are still true. But the more I know about it, the more I realize, Design is all about problem solving and life is full of problems and those problems weigh us down, especially now, like post-COVID, a lot of people have so much pessimism and having these design tools that are quite accessible actually helps you think about those problems as opportunities and that brings you out of this problem state into a idea space and that gives you optimism. Because when you have ideas, you're excited. You're like, oh, I can try this. So that's really why we need to design our life to have that optimism of ideas.
0: You've had such an influence on so many people with your design, your life, principles and tools. We had Chester Elton on here. He sang your praises and a lot of listeners came to <laughs> us and said, oh, my God, are you getting that lady on that he talked lots about? And of course, Marshall Goldsmith has uh, said amazing he things connects. about you. Yeah, he. Well, I mean, <laughs> I I could only dream of having him on our podcast, but he is like <laughs> the guru of all things life and leadership, etc. You just cited
1: like two of my dear friends, Chester and Marshall and Chester I got to coach Marshall I mean who does that he's like the world's number one leadership coach and so I'm pretty proud of that.
0: I mean, seriously, it's Let amazing. Brag. Yeah, you don't you're not a good bragger. You need to brag more. Um, No, honestly, it was it was amazing. But Chester was he almost spent more of the episode talking about you than he did anxiety at work. Uh, but he was he was fantastic. I
1: need to send him some flowers. Yeah, you, yeah, he
0: was he he should be on your marketing team, I'm telling you. Let's get into a little bit in relation to the book, because I loved that you completed a year long co-design research with older people for this amazing book, Design, The Long Life You Love. And I just thought it was great. And I want to know more about the study. I'm so excited. But and, and I've heard you say that life, just like a design problem, is full of constraints. What you say is this requires thinking differently, like a designer. And you have this amazing deconstruction-reconstruction process. I love the book. I love the fact that you did this with uh, research with older people, co-designed it with them. Tell us a little bit about that first, and then I'd love to hear a little bit about the deconstruction-reconstruction design process for all of us non-designers.
1: I'd love to tell you about that because. You non-designers are so extraordinarily creative that, (laughs) and often you don't realize it. So I have to remind you of that. Very proud of the research and that whole year of traveling the States and working with people. And part of the reason that we had that opportunity to go on this road trip was because most of the research around aging was really reductionist. And it was all about, oh, you know, you age and you shrink, And, and, you know, when you put it like that, who would want to look forward to that, right? So we were tasked with like, is there a more positive approach instead of interviewing people? Because that's kind of traditional design research is you interview people or you observe them. So when you interview people and you ask them, let's say somebody in their 65, 70, they're going to tell you what goes wrong. And so... Something related to family or finances or friendship. And, but what we found out happily is if you co-design with them. So instead of asking them what's going wrong, just say, would you like to design your life? You get a very different picture. And so we asked this to people who were 65 to 90 plus. None of them said, aren't you kind of late to ask me this question?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So these older older people had a real growth mindset.
1: They really did. That's the biggest reason that I wanted to write this book and say, look, none of these people would deny the challenges. There are like, all kinds of challenges. Life is full of challenges and that doesn't change when you're older, but they do have a growth mindset and they're thrilled to be alive. So
0: I think that's fantastic. Who doesn't want to live longer? I mean, who doesn't? It's, you, you remind, I didn't have this as a question, but when you talk about older people, there was a, there was a great TV show here in Australia. It was called Old Folks Homes for Four-Year-Olds. And it was an experiment they did. And they had like psychologists and physiotherapy, tracking the kids and the old people. And basically what they did was they brought the old people and the kids together each day and they did activities together. They went on walks and they discovered together and the young kids loved the older people helping them, asking them questions, etc., And the older people loved it as well. And on all markers, the older people's health improved. They were able to walk better. There was so it was amazing. So sorry, you've got me on a topic that I absolutely love. I think older people can bring so much. It would be great to see older people integrated more in, into our society.
1: I think what you just said is just perfect because that intergenerational approach is the the magic, you know. When you bring younger people and older people together, that's part of the reason that yes, this book is research based on research with older people. But my goal was like, hey, look at these amazing lessons that we could use. You know, the earlier, the better. We can use at any age. And that's, um, and some of the people that are interested in this book are in their twenties and thirties, like you.
0: Yeah. Twenties and thirties. I wish I was in my twenties and thirties. This must be a very good ring light I've got here that it's, um. Anyway, now the deconstruction, reconstruction design. I made you blush. You made me blush. Look, I've gone red here. Um, <laughs> uh, <it's, laughs> I've lost my train of thought. De- <laughs> the deconstruction, reconstruction, design thinking process. Now I'm going to come back to I'm definitely not a designer, but I love this. And it's, it's really how you break it down. Tell our listeners a little bit about it. Cause I think it's an important concept. Cause you've basically taken what you do for designing a toilet seat, (laughs) to designing your life. And this is your process, deconstruction, (laughs) reconstruction.
1: And it all goes down the toilet. (laughs) 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 Because you brought it, I wasn't going to do that, but you did bring it up. Let's talk about first how you could deconstruct a toilet seat. And it's very simple. That's how I became the queen of toilets. We often just use those words together. Toilet seat, toilet seat, toilet seat. And a very simple deconstruction is to say, hold on one second, those two words, what if you separate them? And that's what I did. And I realized, hold on one second, this is a seat. It's for the toilet, but it's a seat. And nobody designed it like a seat because a seat is something that's comfortable. It's slightly larger. It has a kind of the back comes up a little bit to support the small of your back and the edges kind of scoop down so that. You know, it doesn't bite into your thighs Mm -hmm. when you getting in and out of it. And that that idea that this is actually a seat with a hole in it changed everything. And that's the beauty of deconstruction is it breaks our preconception of how things go together. As soon as you separate those two words, it opens up a whole idea that eventually gets you to become the queen of toilets. (laughs) And so imagine doing that for your life and saying, oh, you know, my life is made up of different things. And if instead of thinking life, what if I start thinking, what is my life made up of? And, and that gets you to, okay, there's love, there's family, there's friends, there's purpose, there's work and deconstruction allows you to see the parts and seeing the parts makes it more feasible because those are smaller chunks. And that gives you an entry point. It also breaks those links that we assume are between things. And you can then play, oh, you know, I'm going to keep this. I'm going to get rid of that. Let me think about this differently. And that that's really the the beginning of the process.
0: Yeah, I I love it. It's such a simple process. And for anyone that gets the book, the images in the book and the way you simplify it is just fantastic. <laughs> that that whole deconstruction piece, I think it's really I'm glad you used the toilet seat example actually because it visually brings it to life for us. And the reconstruction we'll probably get to as we go further down into the interview, but uh yeah, I, I, so the first bit is the is the deconstruction, then the reconstruction. One of the things that I was thinking about as I read the book, Deconstruction, deconstruction, and, and this was just my own thought when I read through the elements of deconstruction, can it happen to you without you driving it? The reason I say that is when I moved to New York, I felt like the deconstruction seemed to happen naturally. I almost felt like it was a review of everything in my life. You know, I could think about, oh, I'm going to join a new gym or these are all different foods. I'm going to, maybe I'm going to eat healthier. What kind of relationships I'm going to have here? I found that the deconstruction almost just happened because of this big move. Is that, was I dreaming or could I have been wrong? Oh, no,
1: you're, you, that's so astute that you noticed that. And actually that just happened, I think, to all of us across the globe during
0: COVID. Mm. COVID completely deconstructed our lives, our work. I suppose in a way, as you said, we all became designers during that period because the amount of people you... Spoke to and said, I actually quite like working from home or, Oh, it's quite nice. I get out and do a walk every day now. And I even heard people say, I quite like not having a diary full of go here Saturday lunchtime, do this Sunday. People got to read their books. And I think people were like, Oh, I quite liked this. And I'm, I want to keep elements of that. Absolutely. See, my butterfly, my wings,
1: before I was an introvert, and now I've become an extrovert. And, <laughs> and, and I love that. Now I go into situations and I'm like, oh, I'll make a new friend. And that changes everything.
0: Yes, I know. Like you and I. Yes, you and I, new friends today. We're, we're, we'll get to this, but we're fresh friends. Well, we'll, I, I love fresh fresh friends. friends. We're going to talk about that as well. (laughs) Also within the book, there is, there's five foundational principles that you talk about optimism, empathy, holistic thinking, collaboration and an open mind. I thought this was really useful because I think even in our jobs, right? Having some of these, I suppose you call them, they're kind of, I suppose again, design principles. Are they in a way? Design principles. Design principles. And I think, you know, when you're in a job, you have to have optimism sometimes. You have to have empathy or put yourself in the shoes of the customer or your staff. Collaboration, my God, if you don't collaborate, you, I find for me, I like collaborating because you know what, I think you get a better result when you get loads of people's voices in the room. But tell us a little bit more about these five principles or bring them to life for us, because I love the way you talked about them in the book. And you also say, and on top of those five, we should be playful in our designing, whatever it is, our life or a new process at work. But talk to us about those five.
1: That's really the heart of it, right? The optimism is... The ability to see problems as opportunities. And that's really important because as a designer, you can't do anything if there are no problems. Problems are our lifeline. So we love problems. And so it's that shift of when you're faced with problems instead of going, oh, no, I have a problem to Oh, yeah, I have a problem. You know, that that's kind of that
0: optimism. A reframe.
1: I reframe. And I can take that problem and turn it into an idea. And that gives you energy. Then you want to move forward. And part of that comes from having empathy. And the empathy you have, to your point, it could be for other people. It could be for yourself. It's just becoming aware that there is a problem and that there is something that is painful or uncomfortable and feeling that. And and once you feel that, you can't help yourself. You want to do something about it. It's like if there's cold air coming in, you want to close the window. So the empathy is really important. Then asking what if questions is a reframing, super easy, a simple question, what if. But as soon as you say what if, it's almost like, Gives, starts to give you different ideas like what if I did this? What if I did that? You know, I love if you're stuck, ask yourself what if? And then um, the playful part comes in because when we're playing, we're not afraid of making mistakes. So and that kind of goes hand in hand with the what if question because it's okay to give some weird or wrong answers to the what if question and And kind of have a laugh, but also realize, oh, there could be multiple answers to this. And I know that some of our best ideas come from the worst places. So that's the playful part. And then when we're playing, we have this kind of childlike energy that attracts people to us. And that's the collaborative part. Other people want to play with you. And collaboration is really a different word for helping each other. So I noticed that what you were saying, I also love to ask people to collaborate with me, but really collaboration is telling someone I need help.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes.
1: For people who have difficulty asking for help, just ask people to collaborate with you. Once you're collaborating, and you said this, um, Kahal C- yourself is you start to see all these other answers yes. that people give you, you know, and that opens up your viewing angle in Europe. You're like, okay, now I'm not like in this narrow spot. I, I have potentially many ideas, many answers. And you see these dots that you might not have seen before. And then once you start connecting those dots, you have ideas. And when you have ideas, you're optimistic. You're full of energy. And, and it just is this. Wonderful loop and transformation that happens.
0: I tell you, it's, it's, it's so beautiful. Your, your whole approach to it. I mean, I think about different design thinking events I've been at over the years and I'm like going, I wish Aisha had been there and the playful had come out a little bit more because I think the playful <laughs> relaxes people. I think they just go, oh, okay. I can be. Bit more myself here. And I can, if I say something like, well, why don't we aim for this? No one's going to go, well, we couldn't do that. We tried that in 1982. It didn't work. You know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. You know, yes, so no, I, yes. I
0: love that. And for anyone that's listening, you, you, you have to see this in the book, the way that Aisha maps it out. It, it just makes it so simple. Asking what if questions and being empathetic. They're actually critical to designing great processes or a life you you love, right? You know, I think people sometimes sniff at them maybe too soon.
1: Yeah, I'm finding that people have gotten much better at it, actually. Oh,
0: really? That's great.
1: Yeah, it's after kind of like the silver lining of COVID on so many levels was so incredibly hard and it's still hard, but I think it showed us that we're humans. And we are vulnerable and fragile. And we do have lives. We do have families. And this whole notion, now people are talking about work-life harmony and not even a balance anymore. And I find that people are much more open to these ideas. What I'm trying to show is it's not just empathy. It's not just playfulness. It's like these things... Uh, help each other. Yeah. And kind of that's the step by step process that I try to show in my books. And you mentioned the drawings in my book. I do those drawings to be playful. It's also because I think in drawings, right? Um, as a designer. And so if I can express something a- in a drawing, it's worth a thousand words. And then I'll write the five hundred words, you know,
0: (laughs) and to explain. (laughs) I love the drawing. This is one of the easiest books I've ever read because it's the drawings and everything. They break up the text really well. It feels very brain friendly. You just look at it and go, ah, I can just dip in and out of this whenever. Whereas sometimes when I open a book with just all text, I go, that's not very brain friendly for me today. I my brain is going no. Whereas you see the image, (laughs) etc. Anyway, sorry, I'm I'm loving this book so much. No,
1: no, I'm so glad you know, that was very intentional because I could have written a book that was all text, but then I don't think anybody would have picked it up. It's like overwhelming. It's in, overwhelming. Um, especially if you're not a designer. So I was like, I want to create a book that especially non-designers can open it and go, oh, I can do that.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's get. And now I got you. You got. Yes, exactly. (laughs) You've got them. I've I've had a few people see the book here in the house and they want me to get them the book. And I'm like, okay, I've got to order some more of these books because uh, I like those people. Yeah, I bet you do. I bet you do. Let's get into the core of your research, because, you know, you spent all this time doing the co-design with the older people, 65 to 90 plus. What I thought was fascinating is that the Core says that we all want the same things regardless of age, the core research. That's what came out. We all want the same things, love, purpose, well-being and friendship. And, and in the title of the book, that's what you've got, a step by step guide to love, purpose, well-being and friendship. It really is the backbone of the book. Tell us more on the four and why specifically did you start with love?
1: That's a good question. I think to me, I am love it's fundamental and there's a reason why the title is design the long life you love because uh, design is the process your long life is the project the user is you but the goal is love so i thought okay let's start with the i love that <laughs> let's let's start at the beginning it was also because most people when they think of older people they don't think of love So I just wanted to hit home this idea, if we're thinking about same, different, that is love is important to us when we're, like my kids are teenagers, I know love is very important to them. (laughs) Well, it's important to them, but it's also important to their mom. Mm -hmm. It's me. It's also important to my mom, who's now in her 80s and still very like a coquette, (laughs) So that's why I wanted to start with love. And the first message, you know, this Kahal in the book is loving yourself because often people think of love. But if you ask them, like, who do you love? Nobody answers me. I love myself. But so that, that's the one of the most beautiful lessons we learned from older people is that as you grow older, naturally you start to have more compassion for yourself and self-acceptance and being kinder to yourself. And I thought, let's not wait to get to that place. Let's do that
0: much, much earlier. So the book really starts with self-love. It was fantastic. And I agree. I think it would be great for younger kids and people in their 20s to know that uh, you know that is the critical thing to start with the second one of course is purpose this one i did enjoy the section on this and particularly one area because you said that in early life we have ready made purpose but then these start to recede and as they recede you sometimes have midlife crisis you know people in their i see lots of people in their 40s 50s they go even sometimes now in their late 30s going I just don't want to be here anymore in this job or in the book. What you describe beautifully is that there comes a time when you have done what life expects of you. So school, work, family, and you are ready to explore what you expect of life. I just felt that was a mic drop. I that's another section of the book that I, <laughs> I show to everyone. Like oh, a, I love that idea that that's a mic drop. It's a mic drop moment for me that that is a <laughs> mic drop. Right. I mean, and let me just say it again. There comes a time when you have done what life expects of you and you are ready to explore what you expect of life. Now, I linked this to the purpose piece. I might have been wrong there, but that's how I, I linked it in my brain. But tell us a little bit more about purpose and this beautiful way you you articulated life and, and what we want at different stages.
1: You can link it any which way and it'll be beautiful. So that notion of ready-made purpose versus self-made purpose, I mean, a lot of people in midlife, I mean, we talk about midlife crises. I think midlife crises, a big part of that is we have done a lot of the things that were expected of us. And then suddenly we're like, and now what? You know? <laughs> What's the meaning of life? And that's where you need to create self-made purpose. A lot of creative people have self-made purpose because creativity does provide that. Teachers have that. So that's the part that I want people to think about. There are different ways of creating meaning. It doesn't have to be connected to an institution or to your work. And so you can create meaning by being creative, for standing up for something you believe. You can be creative by helping other people. You can be creative by learning, teaching. So the list goes on. I feel like my role is to make people aware of that because then it's like, ah, okay, now I know how to create meaning. And then you kind of start to think about ways you can start doing that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, the whole thing of people can have that purpose later in life. I have a lovely neighbour here, Catherine, who she talks about how she she's always very excited about life and she's ready for her next stage of life. I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying she's in her 60s, early 60s. She is excited for the next stage. She's really creative. I love being around people in their 60s and 70s who are like, I have so much more to do and give. And you just are so inspired by them. But also it doesn't need to be the creatives, as you said. It might be that you help your daughter or your son with their children and you're helping and you're being an amazing grandparent. All those things, it's its all purpose, right? We
1: found when we were doing our research around um, longer life, some of the most successful entrepreneurs are older entrepreneurs. And these are people who are in their 50s and now starting their Second or third startup. It could go in all kinds of ways. And, and I've always thought, like when I was a young design student, I discovered that Frank Lloyd Wright created the Guggenheim Museum in his eighties. And I was really struck by that. And I thought, that's
0: how I want to be. Wow. <laughs> you know, my best work in my eighties. <gasps> oh my God. The best toilet seats 50 years away. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to wait another fifty years for an even better
1: toilet seat. Thank you. You're, it's compliment over
0: compliment. Now, friendship. Go on. Friendship. Keep I'll keep on. Uh, it's the Irish. We know how. We know what to say. You know. Now, friendship. Ah, yes. Friendship as one of the core things uh, people want. You know, that was some of your from the research, which I think was so clear to me even that friendship is so important in life. Now you say we need fresh friends and we've just become them today. How fun. Yes, um, we have. <laughs> uh, so we <laughs> need fresh friends as we age. They bring new perspective and experiences. And your research, however, showed that as we grow older, we lose our ability to make friends easily. And I've definitely seen that with some of my older relatives and etc. They kind of get maybe go, oh, well, this is who I went to school with and I'll just stay friends with all them. We get complacent. I loved this from the book. You said, if old friends are like old trees and together we are like a forest, fresh friends are like flowers and together we make a garden. <laughs> so beautiful. Please tell I us. I said that?
1: Oh, my yes. My God. <laughs> yes. This
0: was in the book. Yeah. Um, I loved it. Now, please tell us more on why we find it a harder to make friends as we get older, but why we should try and get these fresh friends that you mention?
1: Let's start with the fresh friends idea and why it's important. And this actually links to the well-being idea in the book. There's a loneliness epidemic that's going on. Making friends is actually better than exercising. So this is top of mind. And then it begs the question, well, how do you make new friends? It's a little bit like purpose where there are, you know, all these social structures earlier in life, like we go to school and we make friends. You, well, we go to a playground and we make friends and then we go to a school and then we find partners and we make friends with their friends. We go to work and then you know, all those things provide. And then if you have kids, you become friends with other parents. But then suddenly those natural social st- structures kind of recede and we kind of get complacent and, and it becomes important to understand that friends can be made. So love is found, friends are made, right? And if love you can it. make something... There must be a friendship factory, and that's where that idea comes from. You can manufacture friends because you need to be intentional about it. And the ingredients of a friendship factory is quite easy. You know, it, you you need to be in a shared space, shared time, shared interests. If you can have those things, like you and I currently are doing, that we're in a shared space, virtually shared interest, my book, and, you know, shared time, we're talking at the same time, right? It's as simple as that. But then as soon as you start thinking about those things, and then trust, you know, how do you accelerate trust? Like those three things accelerate trust, but also the, the fact that Chester introduced us accelerates trust. So then think of being at a conference with other people, And now think of that as a friendship factory that changes everything. I I go and speak at conferences and I tell people, you're at the friendship factory now. And then they look around and then everybody smiles. (laughs) They're like, oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) I loved that friendship factory because you've even got an image of it in the book. It's It's so beautiful. The friendship factory, I think, so important. And for older people, you know, I suppose they do sometimes think, oh, what have I got to offer this other person or? can I trust this person? And, you know, all of these factors come into play. But I suppose if they're doing things they enjoy, they meet other people. And it's you you said some things in the book that I just thought were really good ways to think about, I suppose, taking the first steps in a way to building those relationships in your 60s, 70s, 80s.
1: We don't have a lot of time to tell people, oh, go to page, you know, and there's a whole recipe for uh, how to make friends. But I felt like I was responsible to show you how you can do this. Yes. So there's like a step-by-step process for making friends, which involves giving a gift and and that the gift could be very simple. There's a step-by-step process for how to love yourself, how to... Get rid of your regrets. So there are all these little kind of like tips and little mini processes. They
0: are beautiful. (laughs) They are beautiful. And so when you get the book, guys, you're going to see this. It's so good. And, you know, I mentioned they're making friends in your 60s, 70s and 80s. You know, I'm going to correct myself and go, this actually applies to anyone. 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. The tips and the approach in here is great. Uh, interestingly, you know, you talk about fresh friends. I recently met a fresh friend, not just you, Aisha, a lovely lady called Mary. What? Mary, and she is 93 and she is here in Sydney visiting her family who live down the road from us here. You should meet this lady. She's amazing, right? Straight back, goes swimming every morning, reads her books, is just engaging, has fantastic conversations. And I said to her, I goes, listen, what is your secret? And she told me her secret is always keeping busy, saying yes to things. And secondly, she said her secret was rolling with the punches. She said things happen in life and that's, you know, her husband died 30 years ago. Very tough. But she was like, I have to roll with this punch. And then she made a commitment to go when my daughter lives in Australia. I'm going to come here every year. She's been coming here for 30 years. She's a whole new life from coming here. She's made new friends here. And I'm like, oh, my God. Anyway, I had to share that. What do you think of that? 93 and those two, two things, her two lessons. Oh, that's perfect. And I think that she has been designing her life. And beautifully.
1: That's the idea of rolling with the punches is, is really like, accepting the problems yes. and seeing them as opportunities. And then keeping busy. There's a thing in the book about accepting the ambiguity of great projects. And so when you start something, that's what you're making me think, that I learned this from a friend of mine that I interviewed for this book, Michael bengay and he talks about the ambiguity of great projects when you start something, you don't know how it's going to end. My God, I It's so I love simple it. but yeah.
0: so beautiful. How funny. We yeah. are so on the same page. That was my next question. So you've already taken it. It was, you know, I had that about. Oh, we <laughs> so Yeah, because I had, uh, I've been living one of the key messages from the book. Start if you even don't know how it will end. So yes, I love that from you, you know, Michael Bungay. It was fantastic because I think, you know, I've even taken that approach myself with this podcast. You know, I'm like, going, I don't know where it's going to end. But a few people have said to me, what if it became a really big part of your life and it became like something that you do full time and what if it led to x and y and you're like I so I'm I'm combined those two there you'll see Aisha I think they work well together start if you even don't know how it will end and then I pepper it with your what if what if
1: oh so so you're you're becoming a pro <laughs> I,
0: I should be on your marketing Absolutely. team forget chester i'm ready <laughs> I, let's do it <laughs> a new collaboration a new collaboration now the tipping point of your process and we're getting towards the end of the the key parts of the book and and thank you aisha for being so generous with with sharing so much but the tipping point of your process when helping people design the ideal life seems to be asking them who their hero is what mm-hmm. is this process like? And how does it help people? Let's start with you.
1: Kahal, no. who's a hero? <gasps> yes.
0: Um, okay, okay, One of my it. heroes is my grandfather. He lived to be okay. in his 90s. And tell us more. What are some
1: qualities
0: that yeah, you know, inspired you that he had? I spent a lot of time with them when I was a kid and he had great humor. He got on super well with everyone. He always gave... Advice that was cautious, but still there was an optimistic element to it. He was just really good fun. You know, he he would you know, I used to be with him when he, you know, go to the butchers and he would have fun with the butcher and he'd have a bit of he'd ask him he'd remember things about. What was happening in the butcher's life? And suddenly he was getting the best meat in the place. You know, it was like, and I just saw that being maybe the playful bitch, he was very playful. He was really good fun and people really liked him. And I suppose that he would have been one of my big heroes.
1: I hope your listeners are catching on to this and going, Oh, that really sounds like you, Kahal, because (laughs) you just described your own qualities of, Your humor and being playful and getting along super well with everyone and being optimistic and also giving advice. I mean, what's a podcast if it's not giving advice, right? And being very thoughtful about other people and uh, making them feel good. And then you get the best beat. That's you. So, and that's the hero's exercise is it's my way of asking you, what are your values? But if I were to ask that directly, I don't think you would have
0: answered it quite this way. I find that people just rattle off, you know, well, I value this. And you're like, they almost become like a robot or something. You're like, it doesn't feel as real. Um, (laughs) It doesn't feel as real. Whereas I've just had this image of a robot going, my values are this. Whereas actually the way you've asked the question to me, you've gotten to the core of it, but in a much more... I suppose, a way that I came alive more.
1: It takes it outside of you, right? And now you're like, oh, I've seen those qualities demonstrated by my grandfather. So then my next question is like, what would you do to be more like him? If he can do it, you can do it. And now you have a model for how to you know, practice these values and make sure that they're part of your life. I love it because, I mean, I know we just met, but I can see, like, these are your values, some of your values. It's... uh...
0: I've heard you talk about the hero piece before and and for any of our listeners, you talked before about some some people may struggle with this exercise. Right. And you gave a really great example on another podcast where you said, think about it this way. If you find it difficult to do, who are your creative heroes? Maybe who are your leadership heroes, who are your older heroes and who might be your younger heroes? And I thought that was a beautiful way to put it, Aisha, because even when I thought about that, you know, I've lots of people who are younger than me who are my heroes. I just think of people like Sam and all these different people I know and and older people that I think are are fantastic and leadership heroes. They always go, how would Kathy have done this or how would I think it's great to get people opening up to think about uh, that question. It's a really great question. I want to finish with some of the lessons. I got nine lessons. I'm not going to go through them all. But some of the lessons that really stood out to me from your research with older people. Love is not only loving others. It's about loving yourself. I thought that was So, so true. Live life on your terms. Oh, my God. Yes. I mean, I spent too long living it like thinking I have to please everyone else and blah, blah, blah. And I'm probably someone who normally wakes up in the morning and goes, what can go wrong today? (laughs) So I'm like, oh, God, I still wake up and think that in the morning. Don't get me wrong since reading your book. But uh, life's a journey, isn't it? Oh,
1: I, I have. I have a trick for you.
0: Oh, my God. Give me the trick. I better write it down. Oh, no, this is a podcast will be, I can listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: it's so funny that you say that because I'm like you. I wake up a pessimist every oh. morning and then I work my way through towards optimism. And I realized it's um, using design tools. But then I was reading Rumi, for some reason, Persian poet. He has a poem that starts today, like every other day. We wake up empty and frightened. Wow. Don't open the door to the study and begin reading. Take down a musical instrument. And when I read that, I was like, hold on. What? (laughs) Ruby? (laughs) All those centuries ago, he of all people that who talks about love and, you know, all this. Your beautiful stuff. He woke up empty and frightened. That gave me a lot of hope. And then the remedy for it is he basically says, Don't go to the study and start working, do something creative. Take down the musical instrument. And I was like, Okay, for him it was the musical instrument. For me, it's you know, my pen and drawing. For somebody else it might be taking pictures or arranging flowers, you name it. But that creativity is what gets you into optimism because it connects you with creation,
0: I'm gonna try that. Yeah. Because I definitely wake up going, oh, what's the day got in store for me? Um when I went through the lessons, you know, that some of them really resonated with me. Some of the other ones included happiness is not a function of achievement. Do what makes you come alive. Loved that. I have to say, you are at a factory of friendship, as we talked about a minute ago. I, I just love that. And the other one that really was great was helping you help helps me. I thought that was fantastic. But what was one of your favorite lessons from the book, uh, Aisha?
1: One of the ones that I, I love is make friends who are nine years older and nine years younger, because that made me realize, oh, I have a lot of older friends, but I don't have many younger friends. And then once you recognize that, you become intentional. So now I have, like, I'm cultivating younger friends.
0: Mm, You you being a case in point. I'm probably (laughs) uh, I'm probably older than you. Now, (laughs) one of the things that, you know, this is obviously a podcast about how to help people to have a better day at work. Is there any tips on how the principles that you, you know, have in the book, how they might be helpful for an organization or a leader?
1: Definitely. I mean, you can take this book and go through all the lessons and just add at my company mm. in a corporation and um, think even like self love. Right? Does your corporation love itself? Right? Have wow. you thought about?
0: I've never thought of it loving. Like, wow.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Um, a corporation that loves itself. It's uh, that has um, compassion you can think of your work and office as a friendship factory when you're nervous about some, something starting something new you can say well that's natural But all great things are ambiguous in the beginning. So I'm going to lean into that. So the book can be read in both ways. I just love writing about life as the the project because we all have a life. Mm. And so it's the common denominator. That's actually why people call me uh, the evangelista because I kind of slip the design (laughs) tools (laughs) into your life. But it really works for leadership and uh, for teams. All the lessons hold.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I I think there's so much in here you can use. Now I've been calling you Aisha throughout this chat, but I know you also like to be called Katy Perry. <laughs> Tell, us Tell us more. Tell us more. I have baby. You're a firework. I've it all gone on in my head now. You know. Um. But uh, <laughs> what, what? Why should I have been calling you Katy Perry?
1: It was years ago, my kids were watching a documentary about her, her going on a tour. And I was like, oh, let me watch this. And then I fell in love with how, first of all, her work ethic, rain or shine, like she got on stage. And then she connected with people through the beauty of her music. And it was, and her her audience was mostly daughters and mothers. And and I thought, I want to be able to do the same thing, but through design and connect with people and show them like get on stage and show them you can design your life and it's transformative. So her music transforms you. And my hope is my process transforms you.
0: Well, it certainly so. transformed me and lots of other people. And I I loved that Katy Perry reference. And uh, I saw you on one talk, you're up on stage with lots of people listening to you and you were like, this is my <laughs> Katy Perry moment. And I was exactly I, well, the only thing that could have made it better was if fireworks or something had come out and you started singing. But then <laughs> <I know. laughs> that would have just made it amazing. That That's next that's year. Next year. <laughs> okay that's when you come to Australia I can be on the sidelines and I go ladies and gentlemen we've got Katy Perry and then you can come on stage yes. and we can get the fireworks I'll organize those fireworks Australia is very good for fireworks as you know uh, you know
1: <laughs> you read my mind we, we had this thing going on now you and I completely mind-melding but I would love to have a reason to come to
0: Australia so like oh my anybody God.
1: listening please like, come. invite me for
0: a conference please come please <laughs> come I Will I will be at I'll be your Chester down here, and I will be <laughs> telling. Well, our listeners, we've got lots of listeners that listen, and we've got a lot of corporate listeners. So, hello, everyone. Aisha wants to come to Australia. I want her to come to Australia, and she also does some Katy Perry songs. So, what's to lose here? What have you got to lose? <laughs> Before we finish up, final few questions. This is all about being better at work. What do you think, Asha, is the smallest possible change our listeners could make to have an impact on a better day at work tomorrow?
1: I actually preempted that question by saying, before you go to work, spend five minutes being creative.
0: Love that. Yes. Yeah. Get your Just, creativity. In. And
1: you know, to me, it's like meditation. We all make time for meditation for, Exercise. I think five minutes for creativity. This is going to become the new thing because it opens up your mind and you realize, Oh, I can think about these things differently. And the rest of your day is more optimistic, more creative. Because even if you are a doctor, even if you are a CEO, like you're, you're problem solving. You, you need that creativity.
0: Now, can you share with our listeners something you learned? I think I know what's going to be the answer to this, but it's something you learned or experienced at work that unexpectedly made your whole life better. OK, you answer that. I think you're going to say something like, well, I'm a designer. That was my job. And I took the elements of design thinking into life and that made my whole life better.
1: Very well said. Thank you. I couldn't have said it
0: better myself. Chester (laughs) Chester is out of a job. There's no way Chester's getting this job again. Make a hall (laughs) work. Exactly, exactly. And if the listeners knew the challenges we had at the start of this um, episode to get uh, our uh, studio to work, woo! Thank you, Darcy, for helping. Now we finish all interviews with the following question. Can you recall the best advice you've received that has made you better at work?
1: Yes. One of my professors and mentors is Bruce Hanna, and he's an amazing designer and design thinker and teacher professor. He was the chair of design when I went to Pratt Institute, and here's something he said that cracks me up, and I and it works. He would tell us, "Mock it up, mock it up, before you fuck it up," <laughs> and that's Fock, fuck, f o c k. <laughs> And so that notion of marking up something. So, so making a little test or a prototype, trying the experience, you know, making a little model.
0: I love that. I love that. Before you mess so, it up.
1: And it's kind of like in life that could be, you know, you want to move to a new place. Well, go, go stay there for like a week or two and see what happens. Yes, and
0: <laughs> I agree. There's so many ways to test things. When I left my job in London, I tested a few things. Uh, I was like, I went and did a few days experience at the BBC and it was amazing, you know. So, you know, I, I agree. I love that. Uh, a great way yeah. to end. And
1: com- companies doing beta testing and model something. It can be crude and quick. You haven't invested a lot of money, but you, you,
0: Start to see the possibilities. I love it. Aisha, thank you so much for coming on our show. It's just been fantastic. I've loved every minute of it. I did too. It it was so great. This was the best. Oh, yay. My (laughs) God, send me the contract quickly. I am happy to sign. And do you want to let Chester (laughs) know he's off from his marketing role? And for more information on Aisha, go to AishaBurcel.com. That's A-Y-S-E-B-I-R-S-E-L.com. There you will find details on her newsletter and her weekly meeting that she does, 5 p.m. Eastern time every Wednesday. It is fantastic. I'm sure you'd love some new members from Australia, Aisha.
1: I do, you know, and I do get people from Australia, and it's usually the next day for you.
0: Yes, it's the next so, <laughs> day. It's, it's, it's perfect. Y- you call from the future. And look, there on the website as well, you'll get lots more details on her keynotes, uh, podcasts. She's got a podcast as well. Training programs and workshops. Plus, of course, the book that we talked about today, How to Design the Long Life You Love, a step-by-step guide to love, purpose, well-being and friendship. Thank you, Aisha. This book is fantastic and I've loved your company today. Thank you very much. Thank you. This was such a pleasure. Thank you. Welcome to Let's Take This Offline. Hi, Inesh. Welcome to Let's Take This Offline. Hope you are well. What did you think of Aisha? Loved listening to your
2: conversation with Aisha. Learned a lot. I'll jump into the three takeaways for me. The first one, Kahal, was Aisha's take on what the four key human needs are being love, purpose, well-being, and friendship. I love that, and it made me think about other models. You know, the one where you have the five crystal balls and that you need to juggle, or your four pots on the stove. It made me think about this is a lovely four, and thinking about balance in your life. Then linking from that first one into the second one is around friendship so that fourth need Aisha's concept of fresh friends that we all need to continue to make new friends through our life I love that poetic view of old friends we stand together with them as trees in the forest and new friends are the flowers and together we make a garden I, I thought that was just beautiful and I also loved Aisha's concept of lovers found and friends have made it made me think about a walking group that I've been part of for seven years and how we started as two, then three of us and now we're 10. And meeting every month for a walk for seven years, I found a whole lot of amazing friends. I didn't set out with that purpose in mind. And Kahal It also made me think of the beautiful, sad, moving film that's out at the moment, The Banshees of Inisherin*, which is such a powerful movie about the power and importance of friendships. Oh,
0: I'm dying to see that one, Annette. I've heard it's amazing. Moving on to
2: my third takeaway was the insight for me that Aisha's work is almost the inverse and the mirror and reflection and complementary of how we're thinking about work so being better at work because when work is better life is better and Aisha's perspective of having a design for your life why would you not design the long life you love and think about work as part of that and with that design for your life and all of those four components of love, purpose, well-being and friendship, the new insights that you'll get about your job, your career, your profession and what that designed life plan and all of Aisha's exercise will bring into how you show up to work and your your purpose in work. I thought that was so complimentary and that came through that connection and that recognition you both had in each other around Around how you're thinking, and and we're all you and I and Aisha thinking in the same space. Those are my three takeaways. Love the warm conversation that, that you had and the rapport you had with with Aisha.
0: Yeah, she was just such a fantastic guest. I took so much from her, and and it's you and I chatted that it was hard to even get to three takeaways, just because there was so much that came out of the discussion. I love your three there. What I really liked was. So if you remember her talking about how life can sometimes be split into two, the less than 50 what life expects of you and 50 plus what you expect of life. I just thought that was so beautiful. She says that there comes a time when you've done what life expects of you, school, work, family, and you're ready to explore what you expect of life. That was just so beautiful.
2: So profound, Kahal, and I recognize that in myself and people around me, around that shift.
0: I thought of it as well along the lines of, do you have to wait to get to 50 plus to think about? And and she did say it it can come at different stages. It comes earlier for some people, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I also loved there was one bit in the book that we didn't talk about in the chat. She said to find purpose, to practice well-being and to make friends. If you're in your 20s and 30s, open this book and your heart to all the things you can learn now without waiting to be older. If you're in your 40s and 50s, open this book to design your life, but also to have empathy for your aging parents colleagues and friends. And if you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s, open this book to design and redesign your life. You are the expert at life and we are all learning from you. How beautiful was that?
2: I love that. So much in there, Kahal. Take a look, lovely listeners, online at Aisha's book. The beautiful thing about it is her artwork, her illustrations, how she distills her thinking into pictures. And those pictures stay with you as something you take away. So the friendship factory, the pictures of Lee Kim's tips for making friends, just beautiful. And as a lover of the Miffy books, there's something resonant of Miffy in Aisha's beautiful illustrations and such a talented designer and, and artist.
0: Look, I'm so happy we got Aisha on the show, In it, A very different type of guest for us, the world's leading industrial designer. And I love the fact that she's taken her skills in that to help us design a long life. A big reason we wanted to bring Aisha on is a lot of the work or a lot of the guests we have on talk to us about how to make work better. And we had some feedback that people wanted us to give us a little bit more on what makes life better. And as Annette said, in one of her takeaways there that we reflected on that a lot and her takeaway three kind of links to that. But hopefully this gives you a sense. There is a process around having a great life and work is just one component of it. And Aisha's book helps you really think about how you design your life. And it's so simple and it's a really easy step by step guide. To finish, the key aim is love, purpose, well-being and friendship. So probably as a take Away on top of Annette's beautiful ones. Think about do you have love, purpose, well-being and friendship in your life? Because that's going to lead you to have a long life you should love. Anything else, Annette, before we wrap on uh, the amazing Aisha?
2: I think that's a great sum up, Kahal.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Annette. Now, this week, we've got a question from Paul. The question is, Hi, Carl and Annette. My role has been made redundant as part of a massive cost cutting programme. 20% of us have lost our jobs. The payout will make a real difference for me and my family, and I'm ready to change roles and companies. But at the same time, I'm so angry and hurt. I've been here for 14 years. I know if I get on and find another job starting as soon as I finish up here, that would be the perfect outcome. But I feel lost, almost paralyzed, and I'm not doing anything but waiting. Where do I start? Thank you, Paul my God, we are getting so many questions related to redundancy. We probably could have seven or eight different questions here. This one from Paul is very relevant, actually kind of covers some, a multitude of different questions we've had. What is your response to Paul's question here?
2: Kahal, I'll break it down into three themes for Paul. The first one is, Paul, I'm sorry this has happened. Please be gentle on yourself. The loss of a job is one of the big grief experiences we have in life. The friends... That you won't see every day. The special memories that you have from this job now rolled up into a redundancy. It can often feel like a rejection, the hopes you had when you set out at this company. Also, if you, like a lot of us do, your self-definition is very tied to your role in your company. You've been there 14 years. That's a big chunk of your working life. So that's the first thing. Be gentle and kind to yourself. You're going through a grief process. The second piece of ideas and guidance and thoughts are around moving on to that next phase and moving into a job search. The good news is, is it's a process. It's easy to do you can break it down. First, suggest go and listen to our episode 11, How to Build a Successful Career with William Cowan, and really strongly recommend buying Bill's book. From that book, you'll get the process steps, and very quickly those steps are working on self-reflection and awareness using a range of tools that will help you then move into identifying who and where you want to work. Bill has great guidance on how to develop a pitch based on that self-awareness, your practice that You'll in parallel be using those insights to update your LinkedIn and resume, and then you'll start networking. Bill shows you how to break that down and track it as one meeting at a time, and don't start those meetings until you're prepared. That's best for you and respectful of the people that you're going to spend time with and approach it as a with a reciprocity mindset. It's a numbers game. So there's a lot in there, but don't worry. That's all in episode 11 and in Bill's book. It's a great how-to guide. The third part is, if you can, Paul, think about finding an expert career transition coach. This makes all the difference and someone who's going to be, who you know has a lot of experience in this process, who's going to be on your side, on your team, in your corner, giving you frank feedback, helping hold you to account to get on with this process and help you with all of that insight around the hidden job market, how to uncover those jobs, how to be the next obvious candidate in the companies that you want to work in. So my heart goes out to you, Paul, and I hope that these ideas help. Kahal, I know that you are also helping a lot of people with the number of playoffs we're seeing, particularly with our friends and family in the UK and in Ireland.
0: Yes, I'm actually even seeing it here as well, Annette, in Australia, quite a few people getting made redundant. Great advice from you there, particularly listening to that episode we had with Bill. I think there's some really great insights there. When I looked at the question, there was quite a few different things he talked about. The payout will make a real difference for me and my family. And so that's a positive, right? He said, at the same time, I'm angry and hurt, which, as you said, of course, you know, he's bound to be angry and hurt. The bit that I picked out a little bit was that I know if I get another job starting as soon as I finish here, that would be the perfect outcome. I don't actually think that is the perfect outcome. And uh, I don't know if you agree, but because the stuff that you've recommended here takes a little bit of time. And personally, I think when you leave a company like that, after being there for a long time, you need a period of grief and accept you've got that grieving period, which you touched on. So I would say, Paul, don't go rushing into the next job straight away. I think that would be a mistake because the advice Annette gives is very valid and it actually takes a little bit of time to go through that process. I just think you're going to be in a much better position if you just pause. You've got the money. You said it's going to make a real difference. You need to keep some of that money to also allow you some time to just get things right before you go to the next job and kind of grieve and get over that particular job. That would be my only add on, Annette, in terms of what you said. What do you think?
2: I think those are great add-ons, Kahal, I hadn't picked up on that around don't rush don't rush if you can take your time to make that considered next move a move that where to a role where you're going to be able to be successful that works for you and your family that that pays you enough that lights you up take this opportunity to make sure that that next move is a great move if you can
0: Exactly, Annette. And the only other thing I would add, which is just for companies think as they go through this, really thinking about the impact and anyone in that we have a lot of listeners from the HR side, thinking about how you manage redundancy with your staff. I've had quite a few people come to me to say the process was managed really badly. They found out through an email. These kind of things matter. They impact your brand as a company. So just thinking about that, and I know that is the question here. But Annette, a lot of the ones I've had is the process has been managed badly. In some cases, the employee understands their role has been made redundant, but they're almost disgruntled by the fact that the process has been managed so badly. I think that there's there some simple things organizations need to do. Communication is key right? Make sure people understand what's happening. They don't find out through some email that's come out. Have respect for people that have probably put their heart and soul into somewhere somewhere for a long time.
2: Yeah, there's that bringing the humanity to it and getting that balance right between a really robust process and transparency, but not drawing it out too long. So people like Paul are waiting a long time and moving into this feeling frozen and paralyzed. So,
0: yep. Exactly. And finally, I would just say as well to organizations, think about that you've done your process side of things. I've had someone come to me recently where they were told they were made redundant, but actually then they were like, oh, we've kind of screwed up and we need you to stay on. Can you stay on for six months? It's just really not on, right? You've, you've got to make sure the communication, the process, et cetera, is all managed really well so that people like Paul can leave and say, you know what? I was sad to leave. I had a great time there. I would recommend the company to others. They managed it really well.
2: If you can be supported and approach it with your own mindset as well, that it's best to be a happy leaver so that your connection to the experiences, the friendships, your self-worth, that you're ready to move on in a positive way, if that can be the intention. That's great.
0: Thank you, Annette. And thank you, Paul. A really tough period for you Take the advice that Annette gave you some great advice there. As I said, think about just pausing. Don't go running into another job. We're here to help Paul in any other way. And for anyone else that is going through redundancy challenges, we're here for you. We know it's tough. I think we've all been seeing it across the globe. Keep your head held high. Sometimes these things happen and organizations make these decisions. It's hard not to take it personally, but you've got to hopefully keep confident in these moments and we're here to help you in whatever way we can as Annette said we've got some great episodes that can hopefully help you through that period thank you so much Annette we have really enjoyed this episode thank you Aisha for coming on we loved you on the show so grateful grateful to Aisha
2: to finishing my design of my long life I love you want a long life don't
0: you Annette I do we hope we all have a long life here but thank you Aisha for coming on the show if you have a question for us please do get in touch you can drop us a LinkedIn message Annette and I are on LinkedIn we're very active aren't we Annette we're always on there these days drop us a message on LinkedIn or you can uh, send us a message to our website betteratwork.com.au also a little reminder please do continue to subscribe and as Annette said recommend to a friend it's the best way for people to get to know about our show we're getting lots and lots more new people finding the show, which is so exciting. And we really do appreciate your messages. We get lots of messages now from people that we've never met. It's really sweet and we really appreciate it. Annette and I WhatsApp each other and go, oh, my God, look at what we just heard. So please, we love it, don't we, Annette?
2: I also think if there are people you'd like us to invite onto the show Mm. and topics you think we need to cover that really helps us shape that what our listeners want to hear about and um, who they want us to talk with so we really love and appreciate and be grateful for those ideas and suggestions
0: Absolutely. So thank you, everyone. Annette, thank you so much. And so we'll see you here,
2: Thank in you in a so few much weeks. for having me. Thanks again, everyone. Thanks for listening in.
0: Have a great week, everyone. Talk soon. Bye-bye.
2: Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Better at Work with me, Carl Quinlan. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and rate, review or subscribe as this helps others find the podcast. For more practical tips, simple tools and ideas on how to aim for betterness, head on over to betteratwork.com.au and sign up for our newsletter. Until next time, watch out for those work jerks and keep reaching for better.